hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Timeless Podcast here. Oof, it's been uh, one hell of a week. Especially for the podcast, you guys took really well to the community one and Adam is three as well. And this week, I'm not with Adam, but I'm also not alone. I'm joined with a man you may have heard beef hello beef hello mate yes great to be here it's a um, wonderful place to be recording just post fourth of july weekend with a very appropriate film i suppose for the time of year that it is but yes, yes uh, i yeah I, I like to feel that now you've got like the uh yeah elite host guiding the ship of the timeless podcast oh thank you uh yeah it's it's it's, it's crazy uh you know uh, but uh, how you been doing, man? Welcome to the Timeless Podcast Studio. I mean, it's it's a bit spit spacey. Yeah, it's a bit spacey, but yeah, it's fully accessible. So that's and social a great distance, place to be. you know, social distance covered. I believe you're in the London side of things. Yeah, that's it. I'm in South London. Yeah, I'm just in the south of England, so it's it's pretty. You know, it's it's a massive studio here. Won't get any safer than that. <laughs> no, you can't get any more. But uh, how you been, man? Obviously, you know, do you want to introduce yourself? Just uh, like you know. What, how you know how you've been? What's been going on in the life? Of yeah, me? it's been good. Obviously, you know, I've been back at work for a little while, so it's you know good for me in one respect that things are sort of starting to get back to a bit of normalcy, and yeah, just getting on with things as as we can do and try and make the best of the situation that we're in at the moment. Thankfully, I've got some really good friends around me and family, and that's always good. It keeps you going and keeps you strong. So. Absolutely, and it's just you know. I mean, at the time, it's so mental, isn't it? That because you know, it's unprecedented in both, you know, our lifetimes to have something like this. It's it's crazy, but especially as well, I think we've now had enough time to reflect on the Who community and what happened essentially during the mass lockdown. It's been it's been incredible. I don't think there was actually another community quite like the Doctor Who one with all the watch-alongs and stuff. I think Doctor Who was especially one of the first uh, communities to hop on that. I think it's just sensational. It is certainly one that I haven't seen reaction from from any other. I think because I'm more invested in the Doctor Who one, I see more of that than anything else. But it's certainly been really good to see it all come together like this. Um, yeah, I was, prior to everything going into shutdown, I think there was a general feeling because I went to the BFI screening of Talons and it was everyone there all together. And I think it seemed like the last hurrah before the world was forever going to change. And it did, it, it certainly proved to be true, but it was good just to sort of have that last bit of contact. And now thanks to all these watch alongs and tweet alongs and, you know, multitudes of zoom meetings. I think everyone's been able to keep in contact, keep each other propped up. And I think it's formed new friendships like you and me. And yes. I think it will, extend past what's happened now and it's going to be a, yeah what will come good. out of it hopefully will be a good thing as opposed to what the, all the bad things that there have been exactly and like as you were saying like new friendships are formed like in my case as well and like you said it will go on further because we're planning to to meet up in the not too distant future hopefully as long as things you know stay the same or you know don't get any worse and obviously we'll follow the very much and all so that, yeah you know i'm going to get you into all sorts of trouble but uh, yeah, so it's been incredible for that. I do want to ask you though, uh, that BFI, at least it was like the, like the last hurrah type thing. I mean, how many drinks did you consume? Because, you know, normally you I, consume I, a lot, I, but if it was the last hurrah, surely you must, must have thought, got to get a few more in here. 
I'm, I may or may not have done. I can't confirm or deny that. Yeah, there may have been a, a, a few extra in the pot than there was previously. But as you, as you know, I, I rarely... Um, Yes, Re- we rarely drinks. I don't think I've ever. I don't think. I don't think I've ever had. Uh, in all seriousness, I don't think I've ever had an audio clip from you where you haven't been slightly drunk. Because <laughs> you're like, I thanks, for, thanks for making me look bad at the outset. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, you know, we we have we have Kieran who sounds drunk all the time, but probably is not drunk a thing. So. Yeah. You sound, do you think you sound more sober than Kieran on the reviews? Kieran's. Oh well, thanks a lot. I, uh, it's like <laughs> probably wildly untrue though. I mean, have you heard one of Kieran's reviews? His Battlefield one was. Of course, I have. Yeah. Hope Yeah. Yes, uh, I've got a drink here in my lovely Doctor Who glass. I'll be joining you shortly. I only had a bit of rum left, so I just put everything in. So it is a bit strong, but you know, I'm no, not. No, it's always Reece. that last little bit where you put that one bit too much, and it's like you have that sharp intake of breath where you realise. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm not Reese. So it's too fine. Far. Um, you know, if only we all could be. <laughs> you didn't see, but both of us just shrugged. When... It shrugged. Yeah, yeah. yeah um, it's, a, it's a non-audio shrug. Yeah. Yes. Um. But it, yeah. What, so, what have you been doing recently? Um, obviously, you've obviously said you've been back to work. But have you done anything in the previous week or anything like that? Anything? Busy it, it's just been family, family birthdays. So, you know, thankfully now people can get together where we can't have all the people together for a party that we'd like. At least the family itself is going to be has been able to come together and have a bit of a shindig, a bit of a celebration. The weather hasn't been too bad, so we've been able to spend the time yeah. outside as well, which is great. <laughs> Because uh, we were supposed to be going on holiday, that got put, uh, yeah, that got put to rest sadly. But you know, it's brought us together as a family, and I've got my dad's seventy-second birthday next week. Because you know, I'm a little bit older than some of the previous people you may have had on the podcast. So I'll be seeing Beef Dad, who's seventy-two next week, cracking, and you know, have some Doctor Who based. Father and son time, so that'll be good to be doing. Well, yeah, because he's a massive uh, Who fan. Sorry, I'll close my Facebook, Google to, to you guys. You guys have heard that I'm very popular, um, but it's yeah. I mean, obviously, your dad's a massive Doctor Who fan. His favorite story is actually Marco Polo, isn't it? Which is sadly, it is, one, yeah. sadly one of the ones that we don't have anymore. Uh, well, that's it. Because he's old, he was. There's a lot of the guys in the community who've met me or've met Dad know that he was around when. It, first came on air so he watched it from the very first episode um coming out and he's pretty much lays claim i can't verify this but he lays claim to having seen everything so that includes what has been missing and yeah he says that yeah marco polo certainly is his favorite so i mean yeah yeah. i can only go by what he says and yeah it says it was his favorite he told that to warris hussein when he met him last year so i mean you know so you know, I think I think we forget. I mean, especially I do because I'm so young. That there are people that are still around that saw the first episode of of Doctor Who, um, yeah, and stuff like that. Like, it's crazy to me, especially when your first story is. Uh... Oh, he's a big first Doctor Stan. He's oh, he's a great cosplayer as well. I've seen. The he is very much yeah. He's one of the sort of when he was living in Germany, he would go to the only Doctor Who convention in Germany, just doing the first Doctor. Now he's moved back to the UK. He does it, yeah when I can get him out, because obviously, because he's a bit older, it's a little bit difficult, but I'm hoping to get him to the capital, the um, Doctor Who Appreciation Society convention in October, if that still happens. Um, and he's going to be taking out 
his new cosplay items. But yeah, he's a very yes. much a first Doctor Stan. Yeah, I mean, you know, who can blame him? I've had a bit of a uh, shtick from the group for uh, my opinions on the first Doctor, but hey. Um, oh, well, that's fine. You're wrong. Um... I, yeah, don't blame you. Um, obviously, I won't bring, if I ever do meet Beef Dad, I won't bring that up to him. <laughs> yeah, this is Alex. He doesn't, like, he doesn't like the first Doctor. I don't think that'd be a great jumping off point from there, would it? So... It would certainly be an introduction of a sort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly um but yeah just it's, it's lovely, lovely to have you on the show man i mean compared to you with you doing your family shindigs i've been very lazy i've just been watching a lot of the f1 this past week and stuff like, and just, yeah but it's the first one back this week so you've had something to fill it either you've there's the other motorsport that i think you're into you're into your speedway you I said you've indeed. been following some of your friends on that so yeah when you might not be going out night clubbing like you do with a weekend usually um, you've been able to keep up with your sporting events that have suddenly started again. Exactly. But on this show, um, we've, I've got, I found a bit of news. Well, actually, it came through on the messenger feed, but I feel like we should talk about it uh, just because it seems like the first event that's happening, at least to my knowledge. Do you know what I'm talking about? Is put... it the restarting of the Phantom event? Yes, it is. Um, so, yeah, that's happening. So I've got a bit of news. There's no merch, so nothing come out this week again. Sadly. There is a charity book coming out. That, oh, um, I didn't hear. I didn't say I didn't hear about this. So uh, we'll talk about that in a bit as well. Beef's done his research as well. Normally we don't have this. This is great. And then obviously me and Beef will be talking about uh, the Star Spangled Man with a plan. It's indeed Captain America's first Avenger. But first, yep, there is our first, I guess, event happening. Uh, Phantom, who we know were hit heavily by the closure of a company which I can't remember now, which shows how, you know. It was their publishing division yeah, a- because they would get their books done by an external company and I think they left them a bit high and dry, to be honest with you, which is bad because they put a lot of money that they make off the meet and greets back into publishing by publishing, you know, Who Talks, different stories, audio books of uh, autobiographies that different people associated with the show and other things like that have done and they got hit badly. So obviously when I've spoken to people in groups, like when we've done the vir- uh, virtual pub quiz on a Wednesday, I've sort of said to people, if you can you know, help out these guys, because they do a lot of good stuff. But like you say, they've organized or announced their very first event back. Yes, and I've got the details right here. Two seconds. It's on, I thought it was on my Google, but no, it's actually on the Messenger. So it's, is- pr- it's a lot more accessible for people who are close to the London area. In, uh, they hold it every month, usually in Chiswick. Yes, um, and so they have. They so what they've done is they've they've obviously said the stuff they should have said like it's going to be very different. It's going to be a lot, obviously a lot of social distancing stuff in place, and they're going to be doing that. But also, um, they've the guests they've announced uh, the big ones are Bonnie Langford and Sylvester McCoy. Uh, oh no, Bonnie Langford at the moment. I just saw Sylvester McCoy in the artwork. My bad. Uh, so Bonnie Langford's there and again they've announced that they're going to do uh, so, so what they're going to do is they're going to get people in at a certain times so they're going to do two hour time slots by the look of it um, for people to, to do their thing it's going to be taking place at St Michael's Church in Chiswick um, yeah this is an interesting thing isn't it uh, because it's definitely a risk uh, in terms of you know doing it this early but I guess you know uh 
I the, don't the, think they'd do it unless they were fully prepared for it. Exactly. Uh, and also, it's like, obviously, it's like, obviously, Bonnie's up for it. Obviously, they must have had to give Bonnie a massive lowdown of what they're going to do to make sure that yeah, they put fine. all contingencies in place with regards to signing and getting photos. So distancing has been done there, being careful about how they let people in. And it's going to be this month, July, the end of this month. So they've certainly not wasted any time. I've been to some of these events previously and they are very good. They're very well organized and they're a lovely bunch of people. They limit the amount of tickets. So it's not overcrowded anyway. Um, tickets have only been a tenner historically. I would hope it's about the same price. I would understand if it went up slightly because of what's happened. But even then, anything more than a tenner, even if it was £15 would be cheap because then you go in, you, you buy your autograph, your photo op, and it's a very competitive price. And it's such a great sort of family-friendly, fan-run atmosphere. I, I would encourage people to do it. Exactly, and you know, uh, it's not like a big couple at Showmasters. These are quite small in comparison. So these guys, after losing, you know, obviously the publishing uh, side of things, and now I think you know this is great for them. Hopefully, people turn up. I would urge you to, if you're around the area, to go to go do it. I guarantee it's very accessible. Even if you're travelling by public transport, it's no more than a ten minute distance from the nearest tube station. So it's accessible. Um, it's phantom f-a-n-t-o-m events.co.uk if you want to have a look at it yeah i'll leave a link in the show notes so yeah. people can have a click on and i know and they've then, only they've only announced july and only bonnie so far but they'll add more guests to it. i think they've said they could go up to between i think six or eight guests so you can get a lot for the money you've saved in lockdown yeah, and i guarantee it would be like a carousel type thing when you go to one and then the other and that sort of style yeah. um because that's what we're gonna do i guess <laughs> it's gonna be weird for the guests as well because obviously they're doing I, by the looks of it from what i read i only had a quick glance because obviously i only we only i only found this out like an hour ago but yeah. it looks like they're doing like a two-hour time slot thing so i don't know whether they've got a certain guest for like 15 minutes and then that batch people yeah i think it's because they're going to stagger the entry they want everyone to get a fair crack so they still get to get their autographs their photo op signed but they still have enough time to chat to the guests which is really good in such a venue that they've got there because you get i think more time to talk to the guests and because it's a smaller atmosphere they're a bit more relaxed than you find they are at big conventions so they definitely could do with the support yeah uh yeah absolutely so yeah, i'll leave a link in the show notes and uh We'll go on from there. Just, yeah, everyone go down. As, as Beef said, they wouldn't be doing it if they weren't sure that they could deliver it in such a way where it would be safe for you guys. So, you know, go down, have a crack. Um, and I've heard that, I've never been to one of these events personally, but I've heard that genuinely a, a fun time. Obviously a bit, a bit different this time, but I guarantee they'll still bring that element of fun for you guys. Yeah, get your tickets quick because they will be limited. Okay, Beef, so you had this book that I, I have no idea what this is. Uh, <laughs> What is this charity books that you were uh, that has come out? Well, I haven't been. I haven't been able to get the. I believe what it is is if there's anyone who's listening who's involved in Twitter, which I know you are. I am sporadically, but there's an account on there called um, Who Hats, who's been basically compiling a set of short stories, artwork together uh, during lockdown. Um, for I believe it was. I think it was for Scope, I believe. Uh, yeah, called Time Scope is the name of the book. And it's, yeah, an anthology of Doctor Who stories, poetry, art, 
from the cast and from the cast and crew and obviously different people within the fandom we've got some different friends who are involved in it and i believe it's available to download online and the profits from the book go to scope the disability charity so it's a worthwhile thing i think a lot of people have been very generous with what they've put but also it's been great for a lot of people who haven't really written anything themselves previously and have now had this as published as well not just their artwork perhaps short stories things that have done so it's quite good that the fans are sort of where the lockdown watch-alongs have you know generated things for charity this is also a fan-driven thing where they've come together and actually tried to do something good out of this and have something to focus towards that will ultimately benefit you know scopus and charity and the people that they help so that's a good thing as well yeah um you know and i've uh, obviously on the first thing i think this book sort of sums up everything lockdown's about um in a way trying new things and then obviously you know these people have uh, whether you know just great stuff to see that they've brought together in this book for a great cause scope i've worked with scope before um They've done. They do a lot of great things. They were. They were the leading. Well, they were massive help on a residential I went on for disabled people about five, six, maybe seven years ago. Uh, they're they're a great company. They do a lot of good stuff. So yeah, great cause as well. And um, I know. I know. I think the focus of what I heard some of the brief was going around when they were looking for submissions for this were the idea of family and unity. So it is the idea again of the fandom banding together to make something good come out of what is in essence been a very bad period of time. So there is a great aspect to this too. The darkest timeline. Um, no, that was last week's show. Um, <laughs> it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that's uh, what we scope. Now, as like you said, I think it's great as well to kind of have this underlying message because I think in a way it's sort of like a capsule of time. Like the, this book can sort of be like a, a collection of, ideas and stuff that were brought up during this like three months of hell or however long it's maybe even four or five now i definitely think this year is gonna come up and be a lot of pub quiz questions about 10 years down the line yeah yeah just wait for the stand-up comedy as well yeah oh no that's the one thing i can't stand because it's gonna be all on one topic and i just want comedians to just completely avoid this subject now do you remember that coronavirus (laughs) yeah do you remember 2020 what a year that was (laughs) <laughs> I can totally see it I can totally see it happening Every comedian will have the same routine About toilet roll And uh, roll pasta. Having, to, having to wear a mask in public Yeah Yeah, yeah no, I said a great cause I think as well you know, Especially if it's a charity as well And I think it's different from something else I think it's because it's a Collective of different things it's gonna. There's gonna be something in there for everyone. So again, I will find that and leave a link down in the show notes for you guys to uh, go and pick up. But now, beef. Um, it's time to review. The hour is upon us. Come with the hour. Come with Captain the man. America: The First Avenger. I've got some details before we go in to to uh, to uh, reviewing. Uh, so, Captain America: The First Avenger was released. On the 22nd of July, 2011. They kind of missed a trick there. It should have been the fourth. Um, yeah. It was written by uh, Marcus and McFeely, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. Uh, and it was directed by Joe Johnston. 
Uh, obviously, it stars Chris Evans, Hugo Weaving, amongst others. Uh, right. So this film didn't do half bad, you know, considering it was one of the first ones. On a budget of uh, 140 million, it grossed 370 million. That's not too bad. Um, yeah. Uh, but, mate, what do you think about Captain America, the first Avenger? I've always thought this has been the most overlooked, I think, of all the Marvel films. And rewatching it back again, like I did over the last couple of days, it definitely hammered it home to me how much it is. I think uh, even my son, who's just coming up to being 15, he rewatched it and said, do you know what? I think I've overlooked this or just too easily forgotten about it. Because this is the only one that's a sort of period piece as well. Yeah. Especially- Whereas everything else has been pretty much, yeah, space you can you know, get away with. Yeah, everything else has been pretty much contemporary. So to have a period story and an origin story like this, I think is, is a massive, massive thing. I, when you look at Captain America, and I think this is something that the MCU did, is they did not the big guys first. They did what were the second string characters. Iron Man wasn't like upfront X-Men, Spider-Man. To a certain degree, Thor wasn't. And Captain America was sort of slightly higher up the list because, you know, it's an iconic thing. But he's like the Boy Scout of Marvel. He's like the equivalent of Superman, the, the purest of the pure characters that the MCU's got. And they've gone back and done a purely historical thing for him. And it does, it works brilliantly. It's greatly overlooked. I do you know what I was one of those people that was like, because you you you've told me this before when obviously that's why you're on the show because you think it's incredibly overlooked and I went all right I'll give it a go and I have to admit it, it it's pretty good uh, uh you know especially on the rewatch I think it's certainly because I've been watching them in order as well I think this is the first time I've properly gone in MCU order to watch the films. Um, I think I have a much higher appreciation of it uh, than I than I would say if I was just watching the trilogy back to back to back type thing because the Captain America films are so different uh, obviously because this is Joe Johnston and then it goes to the Russo Bros. Uh, it this film has a certain feel about it uh, which is so different to everything else. Uh, it's massively. One of, it's one of the coming of age stories, but it's one of those stories where. Although the whole point of comic books is this person shouldn't be the hero, they then become the hero. This is the sort of first time in the MCU where you believe, yeah, this person should not be, you know, if you look at him. That's it, yeah. He's, he, his is like a, a, a paragon of virtue. In the same way, like I said, like Superman. And if you think about those sort of... The, everyone thinks about Superman within regards to the Christopher Reeve movie. And I think you have to have that with Captain America that you go back and there's no, oh, there's this dark thing of his soul. There's no dark day of Captain America. You find out why he is the the virtuous soul that he is. So even when you get the bits further down the line where he's saying, oh, language, when he's correcting the other guys, you can get where that comes from. He's not just a man out of time because it would have been easy to have, skipped his backstory 
and gone straight to the present day and have him a man out of time, but it wouldn't make sense for him to be the character where he is because everyone sort of views it where, well, there's got to be a darker edge to him. There's no darker edge. This is just the guy. Exactly. And I think it would have been easy for, especially on the screen, for Marvel to go, do you know what? Well, I know he's already skinny at the start, but just make him really nerdy as well, which they don't do at all. He's just, a, he's not even that confident. He just stands up for what he believes in. Like even at the start, he knows that he's probably not the best. I mean, he, he tries to get into the army by lying several times um, and he even gets his ass kicked uh, by, uh, by someone in, uh, on the outside of a cinema. Um, but that scene is very important as well for just showing you that he has such respect for people. He doesn't believe he should be one of them. He wants to be one of them to help, not because he believes he should be. He's driven by his heart. Yeah. Whereas Tony Stark is driven by his brain. Tony Stark is like the brains of the Avengers. Cap is the heart and the soul. And that's the thing you get, regardless of his personal condition at the start, when you meet him and he's this very, you know, weedy, you know, very thin, small guy with all these different medical ailments, he still wants to contribute. He still wants to add to push towards a greater good regardless of how many knockbacks he gets he's still striving to just help and make that difference make something better and i think that pays credence to the character that does pays a lot of respect to the character yeah as well and exactly i think especially obviously this is like kevin feige's marvel but i think especially with the pre MCU, they could have really gone down a very unrealistic route with the soldiers, uh, super soldier serum in this. I mean, obviously, the concept of super soldier serum is completely, uh, you know, unrealistic, but they take it in such a realistic way of like, he doesn't just start doing crazy stuff immediately. Like, the first thing he does is run, but he doesn't like do any weird, crazy, like, tricks. Like, he doesn't start doing his weird, like, throws and stuff and all that. Um, he, I think the the best thing he does is lift someone out of the water, but no, I think they they do a very good job of uh, gradually showing um, uh, Steve's development as the as the character as well. Like yeah, they they put the person before the superhero, which is the biggest thing to it. Well, yeah, even with Iron Man, like Tony, although he wasn't perfect with his skill set straight away, he essentially just gets on it almost immediately the only thing he has is like a fault in the suit it isn't how he controls the suit it's just he has a fault in his technology whereas in this one you see cap you know have to learn how to deal with this new physique these new powers and how he should use them. there's that mental psychology side of things it's like now will he gain that ego and obviously you have the death of erskine who obviously the last thing he points to is his heart to make sure that he keeps his heart and uh, and erskine is sort of this again vessel to make sure that Steve stays humble because we need yeah. the, we still need the little guy in the fight as it were. Well I think that's the thing when you first meet him he's smaller and he's being bullied. And that's a tro- a, a theme that runs through it the idea of bullies that he's the small guy getting picked on. And he's even though he thinks he's horrendously outmatched he's still going to stand up to someone who's bigger than him. And it takes a while for him to get past, I think, that bullying thing because you have that part of where he gets the powers and everything like that and becomes a a tool for the propaganda war machine. He's still, 
even though he's now bulked up, he's still the same person inside, but he's still being bullied by the powers that be, f- forcing him to basically prance around and be a dancing monkey to sell war bonds. Yes. Uh, yeah, you know, he never really grows out of that until he shows everyone what he can do. And he goes, uh, and he, he tells Tommy Lee Jones' character, I'm really bad with names. He's like, no, I'm, he obviously lies. He's like, he goes and saves Bucky and the Howling Commandos and stuff. And that's the real start of the film. Um, obviously, you have stuff with uh, Red Skull uh, happening. Obviously, Red Skull's essentially the start of the film uh, in Norway mm. with uh, the uh, first Doctor actor, David Bradley, making a small appearance, which is lovely uh i wasn't making reference to david bradley being the first doctor well i think actually what i what we should say is that it stards actually set in the present day because they they find find the body and they go this they they, they find a they find the plane and find the shield in it don't they and then it sort of goes back and tells you the story Yes, and also fun fact about that—you probably know this—but you could have seen the shield in uh, the original opening scene to *Incredible Hulk*. Did you know that? Yes, uh, I think so. Yeah. Well, the original opening scene to *Incredible Hulk* was going to include the Hulk. Uh, you know, scene *Avengers* where uh, Mark Ruffalo goes, "I shot a bullet in my mouth," and the other guy puked it out. That was going to be the original opening scene to the Hulk, and he was going to smash the ice. And for the briefest of seconds, you could have seen. Cat's body and the shield in the ice. Oh, that I wasn't aware of actually. That sounds uh, cool. I'm going to quickly share screens and show you an image. Everyone, most most people know what I'm talking about. Just for the sake, your sake. Uh, and it was confirmed by uh, by Kevin Feige himself. This is yeah, this is fun. So literally, it's it's that minimal, but you can make it out to be. Blimey. Half the shield and stuff like that. Yeah. Ah. That was that was. I think that's the that's it. I think that's what also is the advantage of doing a period origin story is that you can go back and you can lay so many breadcrumbs for things that are going to come in the future. Yeah, I know, and I agree. Obviously, they 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 had no plans at this point. I don't think, but obviously, this is the first introduction of vibranium. And obviously, they already talk about its rarity, stuff like that. That comes into it fairly early on. But yeah, you're right. So it does start off in the present day, and it's sort of, it's sort of like a good little opener because you're sort of like, okay, this is where we are. It's going to end like this. How how does how do we it's, get? Uh, it's half an hour before he's fully realised and not the guy there anymore. The 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 small weedy version, sickly version of sickly Steve, I should call him. We don't have, that's what we've got for the first half hour. And it, it sets, establishes him, how he reacts to people and his drive to be more than he is. But it also builds up the relationship with him and Bucky. Yeah, it does. So you get, you get that close form thing really in that first 30 minutes, you get an idea of what he is before he gets the powers. So you realise that he's going to carry that over. Like you say, when Erskine gets shot by Richard Armitage and, you know, he, he doesn't, there's no poignant dying words or with a croaky voice. He just presses him on the chest, reminding him to stay true. And Stanley Tukey is brilliant. 
to be honest with you in this. Yeah, yeah, he's fantastic. I mean, he what... introduces humour where it needs to be. Oh, you can't have a drink. You have a procedure tomorrow, so yes. he decides to drink both of them. Yeah, I do like the fact though. Uh, I do like the fact that he's like, yeah, "Did you save me any of that?" And he goes, "Maybe not as much as I should," <laughs> and stuff like yeah. that. You get their friendship immediately, um, and I love, I love the scene uh, near the start where uh, obviously Erskine's testing Steve. And he goes, do you want to kill Nazis? And he goes, I don't want to kill anyone. I just hate bullies. Uh, and from that moment on, it's like, okay. We need I've got this, this now. Yeah, yeah, he's like, oh, we need this guy. And obviously everyone else, like Tommy Lee Jones in this film, it's like, no. Even, to, even after the serum, he's still like, no, I was promised an army. And after, now that Erskine's dead, all we got is you. Um, and, like, and he disbelieves him. There's, there's no belief when he goes into training until there's that test. And that is, the def- I think, the defining moment of what you think about Steve as a character is when that dummy hand grenade gets thrown onto the training thing and everyone runs, but he jumps on top of it. That's the defining moment for that character. Exactly, and it shows that this guy isn't faking at all. Like it's it's like it's sort of like this guy put his life on the line for everyone. Is it's not just a bunch of crap. Where it's like, oh no, I'm 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 here for everyone. No, he literally means it to the point where he die. He die to save people that are absolute assholes to him. Mm. You know, um, you know. I think I think it's fantastic. It's one of the it's one of the, I'd probably say it's one of the best scenes in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, just for the the like the raw emotion and stuff and how it to define a character i think yeah you get that in iron man i think when the the guy in the cave with him gets killed and there there are two sort of definite turning points you can see within the character each of the characters in those two movies and that is it they're both emotional punches yeah exactly and i think obviously it's it's quite interesting within the character because it sort of starts off with everyone still thinking he's a dork. Even Peggy thinks he's a bit of a dork. Not in terms of like she thinks he's he won't be a good soldier or anything, but she's like, oh, well, who's this guy? And then obviously that that one, like um, an adorable puppy. Yeah, that yeah, that one like butch guy is like, do you like any wrestling moves? I've got some moves I could show you. And she just punches him right in the face. <laughs> um, Peggy straight away is brilliant in this film. She is superb. I, undoubtedly. And if you ever watched Agent Carter, the spin-off show that came off the back of it, it was well worth it. She was a fantastic character to carry on with. It got cut short, didn't it? It did, yeah. I mean, it, it lost its way a little bit towards the end, but at no point did Hayley Atwell not put her all into it and make that character her own. And that's, that's the strength of how good she is in this movie too. Didn't Dominic Cooper make a few appearances? As... Dominic Cooper was a regular in that as well as, yeah. Howard. Howard Stark, yeah. And he's, he's brilliant because there's even touches that mirror the Iron Man movie with Howard that you get to later on in the film when he's testing the sort of extracted power source from the cube, from the Tesseract. And there's a bit where he gets blown across the room and says, write that down. That reminiscent of him saying that, Tony saying that to the robots in the first film. Yeah. And also I think it's a shame that we don't get to see more of Dominic Cooper as Howard uh, in the film side of things, because he's, I yeah. he's so brilliant. Like he gets it perfectly. Uh, that, the, 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 the two good sides of him. Uh, I can't remember the actor's name who does the older Howard. My memory is absolutely dreadful right now yeah i can't remember it's, it's the same guy who was in like mad men and he's been in loads he's been in loads of stuff over the years but he's solid but i think for 
the the fun aspect and what this movie is to a certain degree is like a boy's own adventure it, it, you may not be familiar with this because you're a little bit younger but it's like a saturday morning serial this film runs like a saturday morning serial the closest thing one of the closest things i can relate it to is something else joe johnson made called the rocketeer Ooh. which is like a sort of 1940s 1950s um set um movie and it was done off of the saturday morning cinema serials like flash gordon everything like that it's fighting against the nazis and he also worked as part of the special effects team on raiders and this has that sort of idea of like an old classic wartime adventure story like raiders Absolutely, um, in almost every sense. And like you said, it's yeah, especially like you say, it has that feel of sort of like a Raiders thing, especially with the cube. Um, it does. The film isn't entirely like Raiders, where the point is to get the cube, but then later on, it becomes about getting the cube once the army find out. Yeah, but it's final, but it's final, got that it's got that adventure, that fantastic throughout. I think in the same way as like we say with the Muppet movie, traveling by map or like in Raiders, you have the plane tra- you know, go trailing across the map that the montage of the progression of the character is done through the destruction of bases as his skills develop with time. I mean, there is an action, there's a nod to Raiders in this. If you excuse my really bad Hugo Weaving, Red Skull impression, he goes, and the Fuhrer is digging for trinkets in the desert, which is like a direct tie to Raiders when he's talking about looking for the Ark of the Covenant. So it does actually tie into Raiders as well. Yeah. Um, I'm going to quickly uh, skew away from Steve's story to talk about uh, Red Skull's story, which is the side of the film, which I think is a little bit underdeveloped. In, in I like, especially his character, uh, for me, Red Skull, uh, I just think he's a bit of a blank slate. And I think what Marvel were hoping was that people would go, it's Red Skull, and they wouldn't really care about personality or character. I think uh, it's really hard because he's like the arch nemesis of Captain America because he's, the, in essence, the same, comes from the same thing, but through a different prism. Yep. So... I do, yeah. There's always that thought, oh, did they, did they just like blow their best villain for Captain America out of the water on the first try? But I think you do need to have that to set that up, just to lift him up by seeing the darker version of what he could have been. I think to have him the idea of he was, you know, he had all the advantages that Steve didn't have, that he was, you know, already established intellectual had all the privileges that he didn't but he was in essence ruined by those and in his impetuousness trying you know and obviously it's a nazi which is inherently bad took the took a unready serum and then paid a heavy price for it um and it drove him mad so i think you do need to have that there but you don't need to dwell on it too long but it's good to have that character there to build steve up oh uh, absolutely i mean i I don't know, for me, whenever it would cut away to, to maybe it's because I, I love Steve's story in this so much, but whenever it would cut away to Red Skull and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, Adam Zola. I would just, I'd be like, ah, oh, the, the pacing's been a bit broken up here. I think the, 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 there is that really good scene, I think, 
which happens a little way in where the two of them meet and they're on essence on opposing sides of the same bridge. So you've got Bucky and Cap on one side, you've got Arnim Zola and the Red Skull on one side, and you've just got this burning hellscape of burnt up bombs and planes between them. And it yeah. does give you a good parallel between the two. That, that's a brilliantly designed scene. No, it is as well. And I think especially because it's sort of like, it takes away from the really amazing moment uh, for, for Cap because he's finally really started to become Captain America. This is his first big mission. And then if fans of the comics know, okay, here's his greatest villain that just popped up. Obviously and he pulls a big skin yes. mask off as well in grand fashion. Yeah. yeah. Obviously there are hints that it's Red Skull. Um, the first big one being that when he when he shoots uh, David Bradley, the Hydra logo gets a massive red red thing on it, and the only thing that's bleeding is the skull. Very nice imagery there. I think his face like comes a bit unhinged at the start as well. Only it pulls slightly. away a bit on the eye. Yeah, um, it's the, teased. Yeah, it's teased very well. Um, I, but I think as well when you know Hugo Weaving didn't have a good time on this movie, uh, you sort of see it through the performance especially at some points. There are some scenes where I, I've seen Hugo Weaving acts and this, this certainly isn't anywhere near his best work at certain stages. I certainly felt it was an unusual choice for him to go for as an actor because he doesn't usually go... He's done The Matrix at that point. He'd done lots of other stuff, but it, a superhero movie... I suppose what it is is I think a lot of actors also saw the success of the first Iron Man film and thought, oh, actually, this, you know, this might be the way to go for the future. And maybe he's just not built that way, designed to do those sort of films. Maybe he doesn't have that much fun. Because I haven't heard anything negative with regards to the production of it, so I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I know he didn't have a good time and didn't want to come back because I know they had plans for Red Skull to return. And obviously, they, they, those plans were fulfilled in Infinity War and Endgame, but... I assumed that there was going to be a, a much grander plan for Red Skull down the line in a Captain America movie, probably, uh, where you know he would have had to face Red Skull once more in the present day, uh, kind of reflecting this this current uh, situation. Uh, and I, I, especially when you think of the main villains, I mean, obviously in the MCU it's like it's Thanos, but I think something that they missed the beat with here is that Thor. Or, obviously as Loki and they did that very well but I think Captain America's the only other hero they've they got at that stage was like a massive main villain of their own because Iron Man doesn't really have a massive villain the Mandarin yes but he's sort of yeah the Mandarin they hadn't got to touch on I think with regards Thor there wasn't even really a big bad that they well I suppose Loki's always been there with that but that was more set up to be honest with you where to get to with the rest of them I'm not sure so yeah, so I guarantee that... Oh, God, voice crack. Uh, I guarantee they had a, a much, much grander plan for Red Skull, maybe. And also, I think I think they definitely... I think Kevin Feige definitely did, because otherwise they would have just killed him off, whereas, obviously, sent him off into the sky um, to come back at some point. But, uh, yeah. Um, it just... It just uh, yeah, that side of the story, for me, comes away a bit uncooked, I guess is the best way to put it. It's sort of like, he becomes Red Skull, and then we're in the third act. It doesn't become Red Skull. I, 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 I suppose, though, with a Nazi villain, you haven't got much development that you need to do, really. Okay, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You already hate him. I suppose he's he. Bec- I think what it you get the idea that he is megalomaniac. 
he's a complete megalomaniac that yeah. not only does the serum drive him nuts and that he now believes that he's you know bigger than he forms hydra which is now can only grow bigger outside of the shadow of hitler so basically surpasses it and he believes himself touched by the gods because he's found this source of power that has given him this amazing technological advances um that he believes he can get that much he can do that much more that he's ready to wage war and recreate in his own image so you can't get much more of a god complex i think than you get with him as a whole yeah i think you're completely right um i guess maybe i'm just nitpicking it's because i've been spoiled with more i've been spoiled with people like Thanos who are incredibly complex yeah and maybe all this film oh yeah was... I, I think yeah there is an aspect and you've got to remember these guys actually wrote um infinity yeah. as well marcus yeah. mcfeely wrote this and thanos you sort of you can have a bit of empathy for but when you're doing the Nazi on film, you don't really want to have empathy with the Nazis. Yeah, no, you're completely right. You sort of back me into the corner with using the Nazi card there. I was yeah, like, oh. it's never, it's never a good, it's never a good starting point. I, I can't go. I can't go. Well, actually, I do feel no. Um, yeah, no Nazi, Nazi bad. One person I do feel that was undercooked as well in this film was Zola. I mean, he was meant to become Modoc, but they went nope. No, no, he's 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 not. Arnim Zola becomes a character called I think he calls becomes called Robot Man. Modoc. No, but a different he was character. meant to become Modoc in the MCU. Really? Uh, that's it. Because the thing is, I I like this because because what I I've always taken from this movie, like I said to you a little while ago, is that they put in like loads of Easter eggs because this is in history. What these people will become, or what will become of this so all this the the little video cameras or the security cameras that you see if you've ever seen the character that honor Zola becomes in the comic robot man he's got basically like a cctv camera on top of his head and yeah. a tv screen with him inside underneath it so it's a brilliant sort of breadcrumb trail for what that guy's going to become and i was hoping that we would have got a fully firmed a fully formed version of that but that sort of fell off in the second movie but i can understand why well yeah marcus mcfeely just said that first of all robot man would look stupid uh, in the sort of like realistic realistic take and he was originally going to become modok actually that was what they were going to do they were just going to i know that. i've i've i saw an interview with them a few years ago that they did on um kevin smith's podcast and they said if there was one character they'd like to do they said yeah they'd love he'd love to do modok um, they, they wanted to do Modoc, and in that scene in Winter Soldier, when they meet the Zola mm. computer, it was really going to be like a mini little fight scene with Modoc, but they were like, it would look dumb, uh, and <laughs> people wouldn't take it to it. Um, but I don't know, maybe maybe after that Infinity War and Endgame, and now they've done Guardians mm. and Ant-Man and stuff, maybe they would have a completely different perspective. Um, I, I think the other thing we need to touch on with Cap as well, that we haven't actually talked about, is the costume as well. It's not my favourite, but it's not as bad as that rubbish Avengers one. Um, but you have to, re you know, how, how do you get to this point where this guy dresses in a flag, which in a tactical situation isn't really practical, but it's a really good explanation of how it gets there too. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Um, yeah, it's like, again, I like the fact that when they were designing this, obviously it was period piece. Oh, by the way, I love that scene. We'll get into it when we talk about the romantic side of things. But I love that scene when uh, the, when Cap asks Howard to make him the suit. 
but I, I, the fact they went for this very you know war side of the suit, they could have just made him stand out completely. Obviously, he does because he's wearing red and blue and he's got the cowl on his head. But they could have made it like bright blues and bright red, like they're doing. But, the but it's, it was all to do with the show, all to do with him being a promotional tool. Oh, so, so you're talking about that suit and not the one. Well, yeah, well, no, but the evolution of it because you you get the little bit of foreshadowing when he's chasing, you know, the, after after Erskine gets killed, you get the little bit where he holds the car, the taxi door, which has got a star on it. He holds the, earlier on in the movie, he holds the trash can like a shield. So you're, you're already getting story beats of what his character is going to become. And then as you start to see him with the sort of old crest-shaped shield that he had in the comic books, and the comic book which was where he punches Hitler in the face, which was actually a, a genuine comic book cover... Yeah, and you see, and you see the people reading it as well. Yeah, um, you I'd... you get you get the evolution of it's a show costume, then forces to become sort of a practical thing. So even when he nicks the showgirl's helmet, which has got the letter A on it, it's like it's fully forming the thing together. Yeah, um, and I think as well uh, they build like... it. They build his character, not just character-wise, but suit-wise. They explain it from the ground up. Yeah, um, and again, I, I like, I like as well how they kind of mirror with these suits. So the first capsule is very bright and uh, lovely, and sort of like a this is like the cloud and the silver lining and stuff. But then the second one is more stripped back, and it's like no, we're taking away the facades of this Captain America. It's matching the tone of the, the tone of it. Whereas yeah. the old, the first one's a comic book movie, so it's like three bright colours. Where in the second movie, it's a reduced, dull version because it's matching the tone of what's happening. Exactly. And yeah, I also have to say as well, I think Joe Johnson's direction is very good. I know a lot of people think, a lot of people don't like it because there's two montages in this movie. And they think that, but I like the fact that the two montages are completely different. One of them is Cap uh, becoming this facade, you know, becoming this advertisement for you know, Americanism and the American dream and, you know, making sure that they can sell the, the war bonds and stuff like that. Whereas the second one is him actually becoming the character he wants to be. The first one is a false sort of, if you like, uh, montage of, you know, it looks great on the surface. It's, it's, a, it's a fake evolution, but he's still, and he, get, he gains confidence, but he's still being pushed around by, by a bigger man. And then in the second one, it's him developing, but by being his own man and what he's doing, yeah. And you know, I think I think as well, it's a, it was a great choice to get Joe Johnston to do to do this film. Um, I think he's I think he's superb I, because I think he's done a few war things in the past. So I think yeah, like I said, Rocket, Rocket Rocketeer is I I think a, a missed film. Those people who've seen it, they're big fans of it, and it's it's done in that same vein that it is like a a comic book story. Uh, yeah, like I said, I think it's a perfect uh director because obviously you get the, the, obviously the first half's great but then when you actually get to the nitty-gritty of the war some things that's when his direction really comes out and especially in the in the action sequences as well it's, it's really good stuff i'm i'm a massive fan of of just the end parts of this movie but again one of the massive parts of the film is obviously the romantic subplot between you know, Steve and, and Peggy. And I'm going to be honest, uh, I, I think everyone agrees on this. It's, what, it's the best game of the MCU because of how genuine it is. Yeah. And 
it's 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 an undying love i suppose because you there are other points where you could say he could have acted out he could have um yeah there, there are women who have thrown himself who thrown themselves at him at and different that, points in this film you literally see one and yeah. peggy sees one and it's brilliant and he's just like completely inexperienced with women but he's got only got eyes for one and yeah. you even get the jealous the jealous boyfriend thing when you think he's what's fond doing what you're fond doing with howard stark <laughs> yeah it's brilliant <laughs> um yeah so I love it when he confronts Howard about not confronts but asks Howard about it. He's like, Fondue is just cheese and bread, mate. It's just cheese and bread. Yeah. Howard Howard provides I think because the thing is, it is easy to think, oh well, this is a war film. Um and it doesn't glamorize war at all, and it doesn't glamorize conflict, but also there's a great counterbalance of humour that you get in there, and that's what helps develop the love story between the two of them, that there is this comedic aspect with Howard being the, the brash socialite. Yeah. Um, as well. Sorry, he, he gets, no, and, and, Steve, and Steve gets jealous, and he sort of, he does sort of throw a bit of a temper tantrum at a couple of points. I just love the term fond doing. I think I'm going to use that and hope someone gets the reference. If I ever see a couple, I'm going to go, how long are you even fondueing? <laughs> if they say cheese and bread, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll be, fondue we'll be, actually is, well, I don't know. Some people. Well, yeah, we well, know fondue is cheese and bread, but it can also be chocolate fondue, right? Um, I believe there are other types of fondue available. Yes. Yes. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's just really good, especially uh, like, and like you said, he only has eyes for one and that's foreshadowed very early on when obviously Bucky sets up this date. And he's like, oh, you could, I could have any girl I want. He's like, yeah, but I, I, one's enough for me. And so that's him before he's met Peggy. It just shows the standards. Yeah. And this is when we get a nice little cameo from Jenna Coleman. And, but also there, there's the bit later on where there's him and Bucky in the bar and Peggy walks in. And it's a, it's a brilliant reversal from the start of it. Because yes, it is. Bucky goes, I feel like I'm invisible. And it's because Peggy only has eyes for Steve. Steve only has eyes for Peggy. And you just see, and you just want them to get together. And I think because they never really sort of get together, it does make that emotional punch as well that you get with the two of them sort of not saying goodbye, but just saying, I'm going to see you, but I'll see you later. Yeah. It's especially, it's so good as well. Like you said, because they don't get together. Um, but I think the best, uh, like I was saying earlier, I think the best thing about it is the believability. It's not just love at first sight or whatever. Like it can be in some of these cheesy, like the, like the Thor romance, for example. Jane Foster just instantly is. Yeah, Thor, they don't try and slam them together and just make it work for no reason. I think there's there's a very subtle one as well where they're watching the um, field reports back, and you've got Tom, Tommy Lee Jones who. I think doesn't get as many props as he should do for in this film as well. Cause he does the brilliant no nonsense captain going, yep, yep, think, yep, yep. And that's it. But there's the bit where they're watching the report back from the field and you just get that little glimpse of um, Peggy's picture in Steve's compass and everyone around them can see that those two are developing feelings for each other, but neither of those two have got the strength to say it to each other. So that, that's, it is, it's, it's very beautifully done in a sort of classic love story way. Yeah, uh, I echo everything. 
I love, I love the, I also I love the setup of the joke. So like, obviously when he's in the car and he's trying to speak to her, uh, and then she's like, you have no idea how to talk to women. And obviously he comes back with a nice little comical line rather than being quiet. He comes back with, I, I think this is the longest conversation I've had with one or something like that, which is brilliant. Um, and then obviously it comes back in a more negative way after that, that other, I guess, that other person that works in the army tries to get it on with, with Steve. Um, Peggy comes across. Um, and, <laughs> and and she's the woman spurned this time. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, and then obviously he goes, he speaks to her. Uh, and then he goes, well, how long have you and Stop have you and Stop been fond doing? She goes, you have still have no bloody idea, do you? <laughs> and, and then, then she unloads a full clip at him. <laughs> and then you could see that both Steve and Howard may be a little bit interested because they they look completely stunned. And he's like, I've had some ideas about the suit. And Howard's just staring and goes, you can have whatever you want. <laughs> um, it's, just, it's brilliant. But like you said about the comedy as well, I think the tone of this film is great. Like you said, it doesn't romanticise the war at all. Uh, and in the first sort of act, you have Erstein, who's sort of the more comedic character um, in this film. And then obviously when he dies, Howard Stark comes into the story a little bit more. Because he's really not in the first 40 minutes that much. He's in the expo mm. scene, and then he's in the scene where Cap mm. gets turned into Super Cap. Um, yeah, and I think it's just, it, it, yeah, I think the comedy's great. I think the war scenes are great. And I'm going to be honest, uh, before we get into characters, I think this film has the best last two minutes of any MCU film. I love the last couple minutes, and I love the last line of this film because it hits so hard. The last line being, I had a date. Yeah. And it just cuts. Like, that's all you need to know that this is a sad ending. Mm. Because... And I, I, that's it. Because you... Even... I think by the time you get to the end of the film, you've forgotten that very little bit at the start where they find the plane in the ice. You, you've, you've sort of forgotten that by the time you get to the end of the film. So you wonder what's happened. And when the plane crashes, it does cut, it cuts to complete black. And you think, oh, right, okay. So are we going to now find out what, ha what happened to Steve next? And then you have the bit where he wakes up and he, yeah. You forget that at that point he could be the man out of time. So they do. They they spring that as a brilliant reveal at the end. Yeah, and yeah, I like the fact that uh, obviously they try to they try to uh, you know make Steve think he's still in in in, in his time by playing a a baseball. I assume it's a baseball game audio clip, uh, and then he's like, yeah. "Well, I was at that game, so who the hell are you?" And I know out. it was in 1941. Yeah, yeah, it's all a facade, and it turns out, yeah, that he's in modern day times, and you get that lovely bit of uh, Nick Fury saying he's been asleep for 70 years, and I just love the. Like, I have I also love the spinning shot as well. I think that's really good. Um, and then yeah, the last time I have a date, just cuts, cuts, cuts. I think the spinning shot as well sort of matches how Steve feels because he's sort of completely overwhelmed and he's back in new york which is his hometown but it's something that he completely does not realize and you've just got this barrage of buildings lights and it is angled in such a way that it gives you this sort of feeling of everything looming down on top of you so it does give you this great feeling of where where am i i'm you know i'm not where i should be so you there is superbly hammered home and i think it would have been really easy to go for a very longer version where oh we found a man frozen in a block of ice underneath that and now we go through the process of you know putting a couple of heat lamps over an ice cube and watching him melt no they just basically just jump that whole part and 
have the waking up in the modern day aspect. It would have been easier. It would have been a trope to do it the other way. So that's why I like they tackled it a different way. Exactly. And uh, before we start going into uh, characters, is there anything that we've missed? I'm trying to think. Like I said, I think it's just like I said before the Easter eggs. I think the Hydra, the Hydra suits, um, the, the okay, the, the soldiers have got look like the instead of being Technicolor, but they look like basically like a black version of the Hydra suits with the big bug eye goggles that they had in the comic books in the seventies. Yeah. Oh, also one thing I need to mention. I thought the music from Alan Silvestri is amazing in this film. You get a yeah. lot of you get a lot more of the war side of Captain America. You get those massive themes, some of which come back in Endgame and stuff like that. So when he's strapping on the shield in Endgame, that comes back when he first makes the jump to the other side. When he makes that jump, that's the uh, same music cue and stuff like that. It's really superb. But I mean, Alan Silvestri, I think, is brilliant. I think he knows exactly how to do a superhero score since his first one and he would go on to do like the Avengers ones uh, it's just yeah I think the score's brilliant I think it it feels of its time as well he did a really good job making it feel of its time if it feels like the, the instruments they used uh, made it feel like you could hear this music back when you know back in that time I think it was really good yeah it's 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 period authentic in the style of the film it creates characters that are uh, earnest that's it there's no there's no facade i think earnest is is a good way to describe it that, oh last thing uh, uh, we forgot was that the howling commandos are sort of in this film uh yeah. they are um i know one of them's played by kenneth troy and the other one's played by neil mcdonough uh obviously kenneth troy would come back in spider-man homecoming have i got yeah. his name right i think so yeah um and then neil mcdonough would go on to play damien dark and shows like arrow and yeah, but he but, plays Dum Dum Duggan, which is he was always one of my favourites because he's got the the trademark big tash and bowler hat. Yes, uh, it's, it's yeah, it's, I mean that's superb as well. You get you do get a couple scenes devoted to them and Cap, like their friendship sort of thing. Obviously, obviously the the montage helps with that as well. So most of their stuff is sort of implied rather than shown, just to make up for time. However, this is one of the short MCU films. It only just goes above two hours. Yeah. And but it, it's, it establishes with the Howling Commandos as well a, a sense of brotherhood between them as a group with Cap as well. Yeah. And also, I forgot how much Bucky wasn't in this film. He's, he's rarely in the film, really. Um, <laughs> comes back yeah, and... yeah. I mean, because the thing is, there is the point where he gets rescued and he's like strapped to a table. And I wonder what they're doing to him at that point in time because obviously what happens to him later when he gets lost in action um but uh, when he's first rescued he's found like strapped to a table so i wonder whether it's the early part of the brainwashing process that comes to fore when we meet him in uh the winter soldier i do wonder whether that's a, a, an actual start point to it yeah i mean captain america got there for just inside this time around and obviously Definitely yeah. died, um, but yeah, no. So I think it's time to get in into the cast. So the first person to talk about, what well, the person on the bottom of my list is uh, Stanley Tucci, who I think is incredible in this film. Even though he's only in the first forty-five minutes, maybe fifty, I think he's in. I think he's great throughout. 
I know he said he wanted to do this because he wanted to do something where he did a German accent. He's just a and funny bloke, isn't he? I think he, he just has this power to do these amazingly great little cameos, but ends up stealing every scene that he's in just by the pure nature of his good humour or a look. Because sometimes it's not necessarily what he says, it's what he doesn't say. So he leaves these big pauses when he's talking and he talks about, yeah, so you want to kill Nazis. And then it's sort of like, you expect him to carry on after this and he's just sort of like waiting there and waiting there. And he is, he is. he's a great master of the unspoken word, I think. Yes, I think, I think that, again, with his character, they really masked what they tried to do in the first film with Yinsen. They really mastered it in this film with... with you know, Ashstein. I think you kind of you see it more, and you see the you see the, you see the 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 mirror image of Cap, and you see why why Ashstein would be interested in Steve Rogers as a as a as a character, uh, you know, as a person to take on this this program. Yeah, and you can see that he was you know a scientist, and he was forced to do something against his will, which is what led to the Red Skull, and he's trying to make amends for that as well. Yeah, um, I think as well that's kind of an underlying layer of guilt. Like, I get, it's sort of different because most of the time, especially in these early MCU films, it's the superheroes' fault. Everything that happens is superheroes' fault, and they've got to fix it. But this time, no, it's the legacy that the superheroes trying to carry on his mm. fault, and he's got to fix it. Uh, it's great. I think I really enjoy that side of things. Um, what do you think about Dominic Cooper though, as as, as Howard Stark? I almost said Tony. And that would be incredible. Right. It, it's it's easy mistake to make because they're young, look, good-looking guys with moustaches. But um, well, younger than me. But that's not hard these days. He's he's tremendous. He creates a great amount of humour to it, and his character does carry on and live on in Agent Carter. And he's just everything that you expect him to be. He's got the playboy attitude, but he's a brilliant gifted scientist. And you, it, then it makes sense because you can say, well, we've already met Tony Stark, but we can see where this character comes from because it's, yeah, if his dad was like this, then it makes sense why that character's like this. So, and it, you need to have light and shade, I think, in a movie that does involve war because you need to, realize that it's not all darkness and that um, a character like Captain America can come from somewhere that is not purely from a dark place. He can come to a place where there is humor and camaraderie and joy. Yeah, uh, and like you said, I think he masters the comedy brilliantly and also the brilliance, right, obviously, when he's, when he, he's first introduced at the expo and he's like, your automobile can now fly this new technology over the next few years we'll be able to develop it and obviously it fails and he saves it with, I did tell you over the next few years, didn't I? Like that. And you do get flying cars sharp in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. later, so it's, a, it's another sort of great nod to what comes later. Yeah, I think, and I think just... It's also... But you do get the idea that although it's he's very comedic, and like you said, it's also the idea of the bit of a facade and everything like that. That while he's trying, he's this big flash guy. That he's still trying to aid the war effort in whatever way possible by developing all these technologies, helping the SSR, and you also get a 
he's developed a relationship with Cap. So when you get that bit at the end of the movie, when he finds the Tesseract, but he's still determined to find Steve in some capacity, and you can actually get a bit of, you, you get a sadness back. So you have that sort of great, great little bit to it. There's, you feel that there's more to this character. It's not just superficial. He could have just gone in and played it as, as a comedic playboy, but there are, different levels to the character so i do like that he does a great job yeah uh sebastian stan as bucky barnes again i just comp- i i didn't realize how little he has to do in this film yeah he's he, it, yeah i think that's it i don't know what, how you could have done anything more with bucky but yeah it's it's a serviceable character i think until you get to the second movie there's not much you can do with bucky because he's a plot device at that point. He's he he grew up with Steve, and there's that closeness of the relationship with him. But when Bucky, you think dies, basically saving Steve, and Steve has that guilt, then it's basically a plot device for what's going to come later. But Sebastian Stan does a really serviceable job, and he's just solid with it. He's you know just the best friend. I echo it completely. Yeah, he just serves his purpose, and obviously, I guess because I'm more accustomed to him having much a larger role in the later chapters of the MCU, it's just a bit of a shock to kind of see him as sort of an after afterthought in this film. But next up, we have Hugo Weaving as Johann Schmidt, otherwise known as the Red Skull. Uh, again, serviceable for me. Um, yeah, like you said, he sort of just played a Nazi and you can't do much better than that. Yeah, I, there are, I suppose, aspects of charm mixed in with the megalomania. So when he's... He, he, when he first gets the cube at the start, you get this idea that he's driven and but he's also ruthless. So you meet that you get that at the start that there's there's no line that he won't cross to get what he wants well you know you want to protect your village and then he you know he gets what he wants then he just shoots the guy regardless he gets the messages from berlin and basically shoots all the messengers so there's no line to which he would not cross but i think with a with a villain like that as well he does chew scenery yeah, and like you said, there is that bit of charm. So it's like, look, there's that scene where he first powers the Tesseract and shoots the messengers. There's a bit of charm behind him shooting them. Like, you know, yeah. he, it's not quite doing a quip every time he kills one, but like, I think he misses at one point and sort of like pulls a face and then shoots him again and hits him and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it, I think that's, I, there's little bits like he calls it Project Valkyrie, um, which ironically was a different mission in the war designed to kill Hitler uh, but also that the idea that the power of the Tesseract comes from the Norse gods uh, so then you're going to call it death from the sky from the Valkyries that ties into the Norse mythology of it yeah I, I, I sort of saw where all the lines were drawn with that but it is you've just got you've got to have your dark opposite other to make your main character shine bright and he does he does yeah. that yeah, and just for listeners, I'm not saying that he's doing a bad job. I just think that uh, the villain, as it were, is a bit stereotypical. But I guess, as, as Beef mentioned to me, when you're doing a Nazi, you can't really go much deeper than being a Nazi. I think this, this is it, though. This is a, this is a classic-type movie. 
So if you think about the villains in, like I said before, Raiders or something like that, they are basically one-dimensional, but they are there to lift up your main character. And if if they're if you dislike them and cheer when they die, then they've done a good job, which he does. Although he doesn't really die, he just vanishes, which it seemed to be a weird echo because I did notice that although the Tesseract is blue, when he vanishes at the end, there's a sort of like a little like red sort of little flash afterwards that sort of mirrors where we see him later with the soul stone. I did wonder if that was intentional or, or just purely by chance. Well, no, because they did plan to bring him back, but he, mm. Hugo Weaving said no. <laughs> mm. uh, and then obviously that led to, uh, I can't remember his name, but the person that uh, did the voice uh, in uh, Infinity War and Endgame, the person from Walking Dead, that's what I know. Um, what do you think oh, about... Well, the, the other thing as well, the voice that he did do, he said he partly based it on Werner Herzog, who we've recently seen in The Mandalorian, the, the famous documentarian. Yes. So it has got that weird sort of very stockettic German accent um, that I do really like as well. Yes. Uh, what do you think about uh, Tommy Lee Jones? Then in this? I think he's brilliant. I think he's obviously doing Tommy Lee Jones as uh, as this character, but Tommy Lee Jones is brilliant anyway. He's Tommy Lee Jones playing a, playing a character that's based on Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, <laughs> but, he's the he's the no nonsense brigade, you know, platoon captain. Yeah, and I think I think he's brilliant. I mean, he's not in the film too much, but when he's there, you know that his character has purpose. That he's sort of. He's not. He's, he's sort of like an opposition to Steve, where he doesn't really have the ideals that Steve does anymore. He just kind of wants to get the job done. He's still got these previous thoughts of what a soldier should be, and it's up to Steve to show that someone like Steve can get the job done. And I, I like how you see his character slowly soften throughout. Yeah, throughout the film. that's it. I, I think it's what the, um, I think it's something that his character says to Peggy, isn't it? It's about faith. And when he first meets Steve, he doesn't have faith in him because he's just judging him based on his appearance. But as time goes on, the actions changes his feelings towards it. And he has faith in and a belief in Steve and what he can do and what they're doing is for the greater good. He's also another aspect of having great comedy in it because he just has this superb deadpan delivery of stuff so yes. yeah the jokes that he makes when he's interrogating arnim zola and yeah offers him a steak and it's yeah it, it is it's basically tommy lee jones doing deadpan humor which he does yeah he's done in other films before but it's just always it's always fun to watch him because he just adds that little extra bit of meat i suppose to an otherwise quiet scene Yes, yeah, that I completely agree with you on that. Uh, and again, like you were saying, it was just yeah, he sort of brings this different element to the film where it's he's not really an important character, but he's a memorable character, and he's memorable in the story of Steve Rogers. Uh, again, representing that faith. Uh, next up, though, uh, we have Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter. I wish, uh, obviously, that's kind of the point, but I wish she was in more because I think she's fantastic. Obviously, she does make appearances in Winter Soldier and Endgame, and she has Agent Carter, but I wish she was a larger part of the universe. But I guess that's sort of the point they wanted us to think, right? First of all, she's stunning. Uh, I can't, I can't uh, get away from that. Um, she has m- movie-style glamour. So yes, she does. Just on-screen, 
looks completely the part. But as a character, she's got complete agency. She can do anything that any of the guys do. And that's, that's what I like with her. As soon as she you know, interacts with some of the other guys on the base, she knocks one of them out. Um, she can, you know, when uh, Erskine gets killed, she's out there, shoots the driver. She's in front, she gives chase as good as anyone. And she can hold her own in any type of situation. And she's the thing that sort of drives Steve to be more than he can be as well. She does, she serves an amazing point in helping his character to progress. Yes. Uh, Like you said, I completely agree. She's stunning. Uh, And also she does have this presence where she's totally believable that she, that she can do all these things. It's, you know, I think it's fantastic. I think it's a character that you believe she could legit probably beat up most of the men that are there. Uh, and yeah. she's, she's smart as well. She's not just uh, like this soldier lady. She's smart. She's, she, uh, there's so many great... She, she's, not, she's not a character that's written that has to be told what to do by a man as well. Or anyone so, for that matter. Yeah. So it, it's good that it's written as a, a properly rounded character who has complete agency. And she does. She sort of, all you know, she just basically holds her own against everyone and surpasses so many of them as well. Um, like as like I've mentioned before, if you haven't seen Agent Carter, you really should give it a watch because she get she can really she really carries it as her own character. Yeah, you're completely right. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I need to get on that. Is it on Disney Plus? Do you know? Yes, it is indeed on the Disney Plus. So I, I will check that out at some point, especially now that I've seen the movie. I'm in, I'm in more mood for... I assume it picks up relatively after Steve's disappeared as well. So it'll be quite interesting to see that side of things. And finally, the man himself, Chris Evans, as Steve Rogers slash Captain America. Just fantastic. He nails the role straight away. Yeah. And I, 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 I didn't know how to feel when he was cast, to be honest with you, because... Obviously, we had seen him before. He had been already associated with the Fantastic Four franchise. Yeah, Johnny Storm. Um, and I think he was he was sort of pretty reticent to get involved with this, if I remember. Um, it was Robert Downey Jr. that talked him into taking the part, but he was basically the only guy on the on the audition list for this. They wanted him so badly to do this, and yeah, he he carries it off. Um, he's entirely believable. He looks like Steve Rogers, to be honest with you. Yeah, in the comic book, if you had to say, right, okay, who are you going to get to play this guy out of the comic books? Yeah, they've got it bang on. There's no, there's no part where you can say that's not the person lifted off the page and made into real human being uh, form. So, yeah, I like it. I mean, all I can say, on, he was only paid like... Th- I read somewhere that he was only paid like three hundred thousand dollars for this, which I think, yeah, which I think is a ridiculously low amount. I'm sure he signed his contract though. Well, surely after that he probably got a lot more money, but um, maybe he took it all in back end deals. I don't know, but yeah, before that I can. The only things I can remember him being in was the losers. Fantastic for was Scott he, Pilgrim at this point and Scott Pilgrim, yeah, that was a, another comic book film that he was involved in. So, did that come out by this point? Now, was it? After? I think Scott Pilgrim had come out by this point, but there was, you know, he wasn't a big, big star. But I think it worked that he had enough recognized, you know, face 
face recognition in the sort of superhero movie going public type thing to be able to accept him in the part but he does he like as i think the word i used before earnest yeah it, it's it does cover it there's a purity to him and holds himself in such a way that you believe everything that he's saying as he acts it on screen in the same way christopher reeve was in superman you he's acting from the heart in as that character so there's no facade or different you know, agenda it's just he's doing this he feels it and he's doing what he he feels is right so it's it makes it more believable yeah and even from the word go i'd say that he's already a, a substantial way there to the character that he ends up to be not saying he doesn't get development but chris evans embodies this role yeah from the get-go yeah, uh, he and, he has the heart and the desire to do what he wants, but he doesn't have the physical attributes to do it. Yeah. And then when he has the physical attributes to do it, then his size matches the size of his heart. Indeed. There we go. Well, beef, it starts up these these kind of these scores at this point are more for me, but I always ask the guests, what would you rate out of ten if you had to? I've got to say it's a nine out of nine and a half out of ten, to be honest with you. It does have that classic movie period story yep. feeling to it that I get when I think about films from my childhood. So this is what a would film that, that came have been out... early two thousands? Um No, 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 no. <laughs> take off take off of maybe another twenty years, mate. Um <laughs> But yeah, when I th- it's like films that I've referenced today. It's like, you know, Superman, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And those are classic films. But it still catches that same... That same comic book story purity. Yes. And it has... It, it, it has a timeless... Yeah, it catches that. It, to it. it completely embraces the, the vibe of those films. It's... It, it's because so it's a period, it has timeless quality yeah. to it. The timeless podcast. Uh-huh. Hey, hey. Yeah, there we go. And it, I think they, they, had to, they had to do this to make the character believable in the modern day. So to have this guy with this ethos and this belief and drive exist in the modern day. So you had to do it like that. But I'm glad they did because if they had just gone straight into a fish out of water film, it would have lost a bit of the character. So they've done this and they they built it up well. There's so many Easter eggs, indeed. And it is it's it's just a well-rounded story. I think. Yeah. You've got what's it? It's it's classic four act. You've got yeah, the birth of the character. Uh, yeah, or yeah, the, the 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 formation of Steve. The second act, he becomes Cap. The third act, he loses Bucky, and then the fourth act is the the thing that comes after it. What causes it? And it is it's a classic four act story, and it all makes sense. So it is it's done ideally. So it's got for me nine nine and a half out of ten. Yeah, I'm going to no, go on. Go on, man. No, go on. <coughs> I well, I was going to say after I, was... I watch this, after I watch this. I was so vested having watched it, I went straight into watching 
the Winter Soldier straight after it. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, the only thing I was going to say that we did forget to mention was how good the actual uh, Chris Evans CGI is. <laughs> it does look pretty, it doesn't look too bad. Uh, there's only one thing I think means in the taxi where it looks a bit dodge uh, when he's skinny. It's all yeah, skinny. yeah. But apart from that, it looks fairly fairly good for the, for the I say for the time, it was only 2011, but even the budgets they were on were a lot less because Disney weren't involved yet. Um, so they were on a bit of a lower budget. Um, but uh, no, I'm going to give it a nine for me. Uh, I, again, I know obviously you kind of explained it, but I still, I still can't get over the small villain problem. It's still a bit of a, of a, of a issue. <laughs> when I watch it, I just go, okay, Red Skull isn't one of my favourites. Um, but apart from that, you know, I think it's brilliant. Uh, I love it. Like you said, I can't really do it any more justice than you did. I love how the, the t- I love it. I think it's got the best, uh, you know, the best kind of setting it could do for a Captain America film. I like how it doesn't skip over the, I like how it actually goes and tells you the story of Captain America rather than starting out with the fish out of water stuff. I like how it, it has one story, but the proper story for the character and the proper conclusion for his character is still one is be with Peggy and don't get that. We get this fake happy conclusion where he finally defeats Red Skull and then we get the proper one ripped away from us. The the ending of this film is so brilliant. How it descends on the one line, I had a date and it cuts because it knows that you're invested. It's just, it's superb. Uh, and I think it's the best of the phase one films to date. But then again, I'm not a massive fan of any of them so far, really. Uh, this is the first one I go. It's really, really good. Um, and the one thing it does do is it makes his and Peggy's character so believable that the payoff that, you know, 10 years down the line that we get with the end of Endgame. And if you haven't watched it, spoilers, guess what? He goes back in time and ends up living his life with her. Um, it came out you know, a good long time ago. So shame on you for not seeing it. But I'm going to spoil the crap out of it for you. Yeah, it's completely believable now. You understand why he wanted to go back and keep that day. It does balance out wonderfully at the end. Yeah, and the, and their dialogue as well. When they, when they know he's probably about to die, and they're still rescheduling the date and talking mm. about the certain details, it, it's so brilliant. Uh, yeah, so there you go, guys. That was our review of Captain America. Now, some 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 brilliant people did leave a review. I'm going to let Beef choose who he wants to listen to first. I've got four people, Beef. Oh, wow. And they are, they are Adam, they are John, they are Reese Marshall, and they are Reese Jenkins. Well, let's start with Reese Jenkins, of course. My favourite. No, they're all my favourite, really. Yeah. Okay, so Captain America, the first Avenger, brought to you by Paramount and Marvel Studios. Obviously, other superhero studios are available, like Warner Bros., but yeah, um, it sort of sees um, Steve become who he is today, like going from a skinny pretzel of a man to like a nice beefy roast dinner. Um, you got uh, great other actors, Hayley Atwell, uh, Men in Blacks, Tommy Lee Jones. Obviously, other Tommy Lee Jones movies are available, not just uh, Men in Black and Captain America. Uh, Hugo Weaving is also in it, He, who was also Megatron. Uh, you got uh, Toby Jones as Arnim Zola. You sort of see the story of how Bucky sort of goes missing and becomes the Winter Soldier. Um, also, there's uh, there's the scene I like where they're going through all the shields, and he stumbles across the across the you no know, one we know and love today. 
uh, the betrayal of uh, World War Two is fantastic. I always love a good war movie. Um, suit the costumes are amazing. Uh, the plot is just brilliant, especially when Steve's leading all the soldiers he rescued from the Hydra base. That scene is very powerful and uh, very moving. Uh, obviously, the love story between Steve and Peggy, which is just beautiful. Um, there's not really much else to say about it, really. Obviously, you got Richard Armitage as that one Hydra agent, which was very short-lived. Uh, some poor ginger kid gets thrown into the uh, into the river. Rest in peace, ginger boy. Obviously, he didn't die, but you know, ginger kids. Ugh. Um, well, what else can I say about this movie? I mean, there's the brilliant boat, uh, not boat, the plane scene at the end with the fight between Red Skull and uh, the Star Spangled Man with a plan when he's getting pelted with tomatoes. Um, I'm going to give this movie a good 10 out of 10. There we go, 10 out of 10. The only reason I started laughing is when he started talking about Ginger Kid. I was on Zoom to him. I was like, mate, you need to start wrapping this up. I did this one thing. I was like, come on, wrap it up. And he continued on about other things. And I was like... I get what, I get what he's saying, because the trope would have been that he jumped in to rescue the kid, but the kid goes, it's okay, I can swim, you go get him. Um, <laughs> I do like that scene, though. But, yeah... Thank you very much for your review, Reese. Yeah, uh, as you say yourself, other reviews are available. And, I'm going to uh, hear some now. Uh, and, so, and, and cut off, cut off, cut off one and two will take its place. Yes. So, do you want Adam, John, or other Reese? Well, let's go for John, our favourite blind friend. Uh, I confession to make: I absolutely adore um, the Captain America elements to the MCU and to the Marvel movies. And obviously this is where it all started. Um, you know, for me, you write it all down on paper and certainly before the MCU all kicked off, Cap was the one that you kind of look at it and you're like, is that going to work? He's always been a bit bland, like he's just a bloke with a red, white and blue shield. But the human story that they tell here, you know, his loss of being a man out of time, um, the love story with Peggy, the fact that he loses Bucky, it all kind of starts here. Um, and obviously, Chris Evans is fabulous as uh, Cap himself as Steve. Um, I love Hayley Atwell as Peggy Carter. She's great. Hugo Weaving as Red Skull. I'm a massive fan of V Vendetta, so to see him in this. And, you know, there's other things. There's other really well-known names you can see in there. You've got your Toby Jones, you've got Richard Armitage, you've got Jenna Louise Coleman, as she was at the time before she changed her middle name to Jenna Social Distance Coleman. Um, she's really fantastic stuff. Um, this is probably my favourite of Phase 1. Um, controversial as it seems, yeah, I probably prefer it to um, uh, Avengers Assemble. So it took me a second to remember that. Um, yeah, probably prefer it to Avengers Assemble. Um, I'm going to give it 9 out of 10. The only reason it's not getting a 10 is because the later, the later Cap films get better. Winter Soldier's better than this. Civil War's better than this. Um, and it's the only reason that it's not getting a perfect score from me because you do see better down the line but this is the best of the Marvel origin movies. It's the best of phase one in my view. And um, 
yeah, it's just a fabulous start to Cap's story. Um, you know, you wouldn't get that emotional kick that you get at the end of Endgame if it wasn't for where we started here and the foundation that it lays. Absolutely, 100% agree. He's, he's condensed what we've said over the past hour on whatever into a very short audio <laughs> clip. But thank you, John. Yeah. Also, us having got Jenna Coleman ever so briefly. Well, yeah, I can't, I wouldn't dare to comment because people can be very reactionary to stuff like that. But yes. it, it's, you know, it's exactly what John was saying there. The man at a time thing, you have to go back and do it because if you're going forward in time, you can do a man out of time story then. If you're going to have a man out of time in your series, you've got to go back and find out how he got there. Yeah, uh, I completely agree. I think, you know, John's saying as well that the, um, the Captain America movies get better. Um, for me, I would agree, but every time, I don't know where you'd be, every time I watch Civil War, it gets worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think Civil War was a, a missed trick, but yeah. Anyway, so you've got Adam or you've got Reese Marshall. Who are we having next? Well, let, let's, let, let's, go, let's go for Adam. Let's, let's do it in uh, al- alphabetical order. First Avenger. So this was the last uh, sort of solo Avenger movie sort of leading up to the Avengers. And I'm not going to lie. It's, it, I think it's a, it's a good amount of fun. I think, you know, it re- we sort of really sort to start to see the genesis of the character of Steve Rogers, how he literally went from that skinny kid in Brooklyn to this uh, super Jack known as Captain America. Um, Chris Evans, you know, short and tall, did a very, very good job. And, you know, at, from, I think, the get-go really made, made that sort of transition believable. Um, but top that, you got Hugo Weaving as Red Skull, who I think's a, a good amount of fun um, as a Marvel villain. And, uh, yeah, just... It's Hugo Weaving, so he's quite iconic in the sort of pop culture villain world, like in The Matrix and, and Lord of the Rings and so forth. He, he's very good um, and makes a good turn as Red Skull. Um, this, this, this wartime setting, uh, sort of the, the locations we sort of get to view are quite authentic and really cool and really sort of engross you into the environment of the character. Um, uh, I don't know who, the chap who directed it, but uh, thumbs up to the chap who directed it. Um, very good stuff. Hayley Atwell as Peggy Carter. You know, this is where it all began. This is where we get to see uh, Hayley Atwell uh, give her jobs. And she, she's great in it as well. Uh, a lot of fun on screen. And uh, her and Chris Evans have fantastic chemistry. Um, uh, Clara Oswald makes a brief cameo in it, of course. Um, uh, trying to save uh, the Chris Evans Doctor, who is like, the, uh, I think, the 420th Doctor at that point. So that, that's very good. Um, and what else can I say about Captain America, the first Avenger? It's got great action, uh, gr- good story. Um, it's a nice lead into the, to the Avengers. Um, and of course, we've got that post, uh, is it post-credit moment where Samuel L. Jackson's like, you've been asleep, Gaff, for over 70 years. Um, it's, it's a nice little tie-in. It, it's, it's a good um, lead into the, the first Avengers movie and really um, sort of gets, gets the ground running for uh, the whole Captain America character arc. might be that yeah absolutely fair uh yeah absolutely again echoes exactly what we said uh, i don't know about your theory about uh, uh jenna coleman being in this film to save the chris evans doctor though no <laughs> i don't think so somehow <laughs> i don't think so anyway last but not least she got... is pretty much blinking you'll miss her type of thing she, yeah. yeah also her american accent is a bit questionable um, 
I just, I said, I said, not being funny, I tend to forget she's there. Um, well, she's not, is she meant to be that Dolores woman that they mentioned in Civil War? I think <laughs> so. Who knows? Uh, who knows? Who knows, eh? Anyway, last but not least, we've got uh, Reese Marshall, otherwise known to most of you as Galafay Forever 97. Uh, the first Captain America. Uh, it, it's quite an underrated film, I feel, in the MCU. I think it gets a lot of rankings. You see it quite low. But in hindsight, it, it does set the foundation for so many things which paid off in Avengers Endgame, for example. Um, you know, the, the love story between uh, Captain America and Hayley Atwell's character. Uh, that, I know a lot of people uh, wanted that to be resolved quite quickly uh, when the first one finished. Um, we have to wait, wait many years that um the friendship between Captain America and Bucky uh I'd say that I think the scene which defines Captain America in one single moment is when he jumps on um to the grenade such a heroic act which subs up the character perfectly kind of um self-sacrificed all that um yeah it's, it's quite a brave move to have a, a a film superhero film especially in World War II uh you know I think I mean, it's a setting um Helps build up the characters in the location, um, and yeah, no, I think it's just a really overlooked film. I just say I've joined multiple times. Good villain uh, with Red Skull, played by Hugh Grieven, Toby Jones as well. I uh, think he's a nice character, but um, yeah, I think it's overlooked. I, I do enjoy this film quite a bit. Um, it does set up a lot for the big health moments that we see um, in the current MCU. There we go. Now, yeah, speaking, cool. speaking of overlooked, because I mentioned to them straight after they recorded these, nobody mentioned Stanley Tucci. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's saddening. I was like, oh, poor Stanley Yeah, or, or Dominic Cooper, or, you know, you know Dum Dum Duggan, the, the best <laughs> guy who, the guy who says, yeah, you, you, you want my support, then go to the bar and open a tab. That's a guy's, that's a guy's <laughs> that, motivation that I can get you. behind. That's you. In essence, yeah, I do sort of identify with Dum Dum Duggan. If he said, if I had my stick, I'd beat you with it. Uh, yes, uh, but no. That was the reviews, guys. Thank you for taking your time to record those. It's a genuine delight to listen. Yeah, to. yes, and yeah, I, I hope there'll be more in the future. Well, beef, you'll be on the other side next week, hopefully. Yeah, I'll be on the other side of the glass, like a like a chimpanzee looking in at the gate. Now, uh, I don't uh, know whether it's going to be possible, but the current plan is to to do uh, uh, another week of Marvel films uh, next week. Beat trick the system. Because uh, Reese Gallifrey from '97 said he wants to come on the show, and the Avengers coming up, um, and because he could be going back to work soon and stuff, next week would be the best time to do it. So, uh, yeah, that could be coming up on next week's show. But anyway, oh, what, are you, what, what are you going? What are you, are you talking about? The first Avengers film? Yeah, the first Avengers Assemble. Yes. Ooh, it's been a long time since I watched that. I don't think I've actually seen it properly since it came out. So yeah, it would be interesting to go back and give these a rewatch. Like I say, it's a to, to have a 10-year worth span of movie that covers all these different characters. It's quite weird that you still remember enough of it, but you can get something when you go back and watch the older ones for it to have that rewatch value. Exactly. Um, I just want to say now quickly, uh, before, before we go, thank you to Beef for taking this time today. It's always a pleasure talking to my chums, and if I can support you, and like I said, I am a, a subscriber to the Timeless podcast. I was listening, in fact, earlier on today to your very comprehensive listing of your favorite uh, community episodes and as it happened because i went and following on from that re-watching the second 
uh, Captain America film today, I did see Danny Pudi, Abed Nadir, in Agents of uh, in in Winter Soldier. So I had to screen screen yeah. grab it and send it to you earlier. So yeah. yes, exactly. And I hope I hope uh, in in the not too distant future we can get you on the show again. I'd, I'd look forward to it tremendously, buddy. Reviewing another Marvel film or something. Yeah, or even a Doctor Who perhaps thing yeah, down the road. Change it up, who knows? Yeah, or even yeah, anything. Yeah, toast of Flash London. Gordon. <laughs> oh, you would not believe the podcast I've done on Flash Gordon. Yeah, and you you'll never shut me up on Flash Gordon. Of course not. Uh, but no, Beef uh, Beef was quite disappointed to find out that I've not watched a lot of classic films. So if I watch one of those, Beef might want to hop on the show. And oh, for the uh, fact that I had to get you to watch Ghostbusters for the first time a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm naming you and shaming you now. Uh, <laughs> but no, thanks for coming on, buddy. Is there anything you want to plug, whether it's yourself, whether it's anything else? Just because I have a terrible te- memory and everything you say is... No, just, I, I think just to be honest with you, the, the people who we... The things that we mentioned at the start, which is the uh, Phantom and their publishing side as well, if you can order any of their stuff online, if, if you're in, interested in that avenue of it or you're able to attend the events... They're a great company and they put a lot of stuff in that's more accessible to aspects of the fandom than perhaps the, the bigger conventions that they are. Um, obviously, the time, uh, the time Scope book, because that's supporting a very good cause. And the other thing I would urge people to do is record more audio reviews and send them in for Alex to play at the end of the podcast. They are genuinely um, a lot of fun. T- tell your friends. Add, yes. it to your, add it to your subscription list. And obviously, if you'd like to leave a review as well for the podcast online. Yes, it does help. I believe uh, from people I've known, it helps get up the lists and stuff. It, yeah, it helps it become more publicly aware and everything like that. And obviously, you know, Alex loves DMs via Twitter. I do. Um, I don't get... Yes. Um, anyway, moving... What we'll, what, we'll, what we'll do is, given a bit of time... Yeah, I'm not a voiceover guy because I don't leave that sort of description on my bio. But <laughs> one day, um, we'll get all these comments together. And then what we'll do is we'll record like a little five-minute segment of me reading your DMs that you've had about the Timeless Podcast because I just think that'd be fun. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, that'd be a great podcast. We need a few drinks now, so that might... Maybe episode 50. I'm going to try and get some... Yeah, that's it, it, yeah. Make it, make it a celebration-type episode and then do it. Yeah. Keep a uh, compendium, a Google Drive of yeah. DMs. I'm going to try and, I'm gonna try and uh, keep, try and get people... Uh, try, and get, try and get a few people on that have been on the show before to kind of look a, a big mash-up for episode 50 or something like that. That's um, a cool idea, man. But uh, no, I just want to say before I go, if you could, please do go follow uh, the Timeless Podcast on Twitter at the Timeless Pod. That's where you'll get a lot of updates from me. And if there's any watch alongs and I'm doing them, I'll tweet from that account. Follow me personally, mostly just tweets about F1, to be honest, but at AlexKing underscore Dom. And next week on the show, I don't know what it will be. It might be me by myself, but if Reese has the time, then we'll talk about the Avengers. If not, we'll talk about something else. I'll do the Avengers the week after. Um, but anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you, B, for coming on. And. Uh, We'll uh, see you guys next week. Well, yeah, I'm at the Beefhead on Twitter. Uh, just I just do silly things and show up to places wearing shorts. It's a photo you can't... photo. Is, isn't it a Photoshop photo of you holding an Oscar? Uh, it's a BAFTA. Uh, a BAFTA. <laughs> don't ask me why. People for some reason think it's real. I, it's not. It's totally fake. <laughs> if you were a BAFTA, I want to know what you'd want it for. Shorts. <laughs> wearing start, shorts. You, you stole that berries. Um, 
You just stole Matt Berry's. Um, yes. Um, is he won a BAFTA before? Surely he's won a BAFTA. I would hope so. If not, he's been grossly overlooked. <laughs> anyway, guys, we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.